Revelation 19, uh, and we are going to be reading 11 uh, through, uh, uh, probably through the end here, and trying to get into uh, chapter 20, hopefully today. I've got this week and next week. So we started off uh, in 1 through 10 uh, last week, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 11. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding him on horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which, uh, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with, a, with iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried with a loud voice to all the birds, Flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of people of free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to uh, make war against the rider on the horse and his army, but the beast was captured with him, the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and against the and all the birds gorged uh, themselves on their flesh. Now we've got a, a couple of things to, to look at here. I want to look at some of the, the pictures that you you see. Uh, a lot of these are are titles and, and various descriptions that, that go really to the beginning of what we were, what we began in the very beginning of, of the book of Revelation, some of these descriptions. And they're significant. What, what does your mind, uh, you know, and it might be different for each one of us, what are, what are you drawn to uh, as you look at this? Uh, any, any, anything in, in particular? Okay, the, the, the robe dipped in blood, anything else? Jack, okay, the Logos, the Logos, the Word. Uh, we're going to look at some of that uh, a little bit later here, uh, some of these different things. Uh, anything else? Uh, ruling with a rod of iron. Okay, we, we don't typically see that picture, do we? Ruling with a rod of, rod of iron. We typically see the, the nice Jesus on a hillside in the, uh, the, the children's stories, children's Bibles, but he has, what is, what is uh, significant of ruling with a rod of iron? What does that signify? Okay, there's a, there's a, um, what is there a similar idiom that we have to that today? Oh, ruling with an iron fist. This is, it's the it's a different idiom in a different culture, but for the same thing. In other words, there, there are some absolutes with Christ. Christ is not wishy-washy, and, and he's going to, to rule, uh, and he uh, there's another picture that goes along with this, with this logos, and it is what is another implement of his governance, I guess. A sword. Where is the sword located? It's located in his mouth. So that goes along with this idea of the word. 
and and again we'll get back to that but but the message that this is how Christ governs but he's absolute in his message uh he is faithful he's true uh all of the things in in this in this book especially are are absolutes they're going we finished kind of the the lesson last week talking about Christ as the spirit of prophecy um his message is true um so the going to get into all of this treading out the 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 uh, wine press and there's there's so many different um, pictures uh, that are in here uh, but we want to look at his majesty you know, there's a lot of pictures of his majesty uh, what is his title I mean, he has a name that no one knows, so I guess we won't talk too much about that. What is his title? King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So where does that come from? It comes from the Old Testament. And who is the Lord of Lords in the Old Testament? Okay, God. Now we need to remember... Who is the subject here, right? Isn't it clear from this subject that that Christ is is who this is talking about? The robe dipped in blood is 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 crystal clear. And so we have an idea that um, I, I don't, I'm not sure where it comes from, but that that Yahweh in the Old Testament is like the equivalent of the Father, right? The Jehovah. But when this is quoting the Old Testament, Christ is taking the title of Yahweh. Now, whenever you'll see in the Old Testament, depending on your Bible, you'll see different times the word Lord appears, but some in some Bibles it's put in a different font. And the reason for that is that there are different words for the word God. Um, El is one of them, or Elohim. Uh, Yahweh is used. And whenever it's used as a different font, they're specifying Yahweh. And Yahweh is the one, or Jehovah, that that is in this quotation in the Old Testament um, and I forget which of the major prophets, either Isaiah or Jeremiah, but uh, Lord of Lord and uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that, that, that reference, Jesus is taking that title to himself. That's Je- Jehovah. Jehovah is, is the, the title or description of God, not just the Father God, but, but God uh, in, any, in any form or in any any one of the individuals. So the Holy Spirit could be a reference to, to Jehovah. God is Jehovah. So, so that might be helpful in, in discussions with, with certain religions. Um, so that, I think, is important. Um, he has a robe dipped in blood. He's earned his place. The, um, really where we started in Revelation... Uh, all those titles, the first and the last, the Almighty, all these references, John is saying, declaring, just as he has in the book of John, 
just as he has in his the letters of John, Jesus deity. All of, all of John's writing are about Jesus deity because that was what was under attack at the time that he wrote through Gnosticism. So he incorporates all that in there. So I want to look at um, his victory here over the powers, really, of the earth. And we've gone through a lot of these, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But I want to look at, he has, what's, what's unique about his majesty here? He has, majesty is a crown, right? We think of a crown. What's unique about his? What's that? I can't hear you. Pure. Okay, sorry. Um, He has many crowns. Well, what does that signify? Okay. He's got a lot of victories. Got a lot of notches on the belt. However you want to, whatever idiom you want to look at, he's, he's all authority. He, he reigns over everything. He's got crowns from everybody. Like, yeah, I took this crown. And that's this idea. He's got a name above all names. All those different references to Christ's deity. He's got a lot of victories uh, that he's that he's gained and um, earned. There is some interesting things here. He says, he talks about his, um, his victories. Well, he's seated on a white horse. We've seen that before. And that goes to the idea of purity and, and victory. And he treads out... He himself treads out the wine press of the fierceness of wrath. Again, the idea that we don't see much. Like he's the enforcer. Um, we don't think I that. I always think of him in the Old Testament as being the angel of God. There's that. There's a. There's a suggestion that that is true, and I don't know if he is or not. But there, there is, there is a, a significant theory to that that he is the angel of death, and that he 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 does that. Uh, he's one of the ones. That, there's an idea that it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who come to visit Abraham. The, the three angels. I don't know. Um, I don't know where those come from. I don't know. Uh, I. I Tend to leave stuff I don't know alone. <laughs> so, um, tread very lightly around that. Um, but he he's in going with these these uh, all these victories that he uh, that he has is interesting in verse twenty one. So he's gonna uh, he's going to throw the beast and the false prophet. And we've talked about what those are. But verse 21, he says, The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. The rest of whom? I'm sorry, I wanted to go back to the other comment. Oh. Well, think about that, Mark. What's that? So, whenever it says, He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of 
chapter 17. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 16. And verse 19 says, The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Yeah. That's suggesting that whenever that cup was poured out, Jesus is the one that's treading that wine press. Yeah. So that, that wine can be made That's that same, that, same, uh, that same reference. Yeah. That's good, good, good thought. So who's the remnant? The remainder. Well, in verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together. So he's fighting against them, and my guess is it's whoever's left after he's already okay. taken care of those. We'll go back to what we talked about really in previous weeks, where he said, Come out of her, my people. I, I, I'm going to assault this structure, this this religious entity. You want to be out of it because I'm coming to punish. And and if if you're collateral damage, that's your that's on you. Um, so he's going to take care of the structure, but in doing so, there's going to be a remainder of people caught up with all that stuff, intoxicated by everything, that are going to suffer for their connection with it. And I think that's what he's referencing, because we've seen that in multiple chapters uh, throughout. So he says, you want to make a clear distinction between yourself when the time comes to, uh, to do this. Um, and the birds were filled with their flesh. And he goes on about this. And I I think it's really interesting in verse 18 how descriptive they are. Yes. It says that all people, free and slave, doesn't matter, small and great, doesn't matter who you are. If you're not on God's side, you're on the wrong side. Right. Doesn't matter. Yes. Doesn't matter your circumstances, where you've been, what you've That's a, it's an incredible point. That, that, well, what about this situation, or what about this scenario? Uh, we played a game. It's a it's a financial game. Um, teaches kids, you know, how to manage money. And um, it's interesting is is it's not a fair game, right? Because one person can start out as like a stockbroker, and you have like so much income and various things, and one person starts out as a waitress, and you just randomly draw these cards. And the whole idea is to teach you that no matter where you start from, you can manage your money and get out of the rat race or whatever and, 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 and succeed if you, if you manage your money. And yes, you might, it might take you longer, and typically those with the harder things get there last. But the idea is to teach you anybody can do it, that everybody has a responsibility. Everybody has expectations. You might have a worse hand dealt you if you were a slave back then or whatever. But we see slaves become Christians. Right? We, we see people accept it uh, from, from harder circumstances. God does not care what your circumstances are. He's given you an opportunity to respond. Um, so, um, so that's, I think, that's a really important point. Um, <clears throat> so I want to get into chapter 20, unless we have more thoughts on this chapter. how he deals with the 
beast and the false prophet? Yes. Talking deals with everybody else. Right. Because the beast and the false prophet, they were thrown alive. Yeah. Into the lake of burning salt. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know. I don't know how that that if it's just a picture of. Uh, of his uh, of of his wrath or or a, a personification of his anger for what they've done, right? But, yeah, but it goes back to what you were saying before about like how he deals with the like the, the structure and the hierarchy versus right. yes. the rest of the folks. Right. Like you guys should know better. You guys were doing this on purpose. You yes. Get, you get extra special treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's a game changer how we portrayed Jesus all along with his disciples, and then. This buff warrior. That's a picture where you picture somebody like Samson in the Old Testament. Right. He was like that, but you don't picture Jesus like that. Right. I, I, we have glimpses of it. We only have glimpses of it during his ministry that, on, on, that I can think of on a couple of occasions where he flips tables. Like, you know, that, like that's not Jesus. You know. Now maybe his disciples saw a side of him. Maybe maybe there's tons of those stories that aren't in and. You know, our writers just thought they need a couple. People need a couple of stories to, to, to know that there was a guy that he had this side to him. And maybe there were more. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think he was more reserved, and, and he kept those for special occasions. And it, when you look at this scenario, this is a special occasion. Right? Uh, you have these entities that have been persecuting Christians, and Jesus is like, okay, I'm going off. And so... Uh, and, and, and you think about how long, even in these cases, it took him to get there. Uh, even, even up there uh, in, in his majesty, he's very reserved. But when he gets there, he gets there. Um, so chapter 20. And uh, this is another one of those passages that, that, and this is the one for whom we name premillennialism, the millennium, right, the thousand years. He says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having a key to the bottomless pit uh, and a great chain in his hand to lay hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, <clears throat> bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witnesses of uh, Jesus, uh, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads and his hands. Uh, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Behold, the holy is he who has the part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. They went on the breadth uh, of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God of heaven and devoured them. The devil who had received them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Okay. So we have a couple of landmarks here. We're going to back up. Um, and so we have Satan, first of all, limited for a thousand years. Right? He's bound. I uh, want some several, just to begin with, several important notes. Right? As we're, as we're placing... Uh, this entity and when it happens, 
Um, I want you to notice the difference um, between, uh, we see, we remember when John's writing this in 96 AD. And in this first, uh, throughout a bunch of this, he, he goes through and it's past tense. But in verse 7, he switches tenses to future tense. Right? You notice that? That is significant. I don't think that's an accident. Right? John is looking at something past from his perspective. Well, Christ is. And John's just writing it down. And it switches tenses to something future. This is a recap. I believe this is a recap of time from beginning to end. In other words, we're not still waiting for the thousand years to start. Right? That's, that's um, what we call premillennialism. kind of has this idea that everything in Revelation is about me. And it's all now and future. Uh, and so every ten or so years when things have gone, like, for example, I remember when, uh, when everything was about, uh, people were all excited about uh, the European Union, and it was the we were, we were approaching ten uh, nations in in the European Union. Oh, the ten heads. Well, we've done flown by that, so we have to readjust. Right? Oh, I guess it wasn't about that, right? Uh, and, and and there's always this constant readjusting as people are trying to find now in the scriptures. Uh, <clears throat> but let's look at uh, some more notes here. Uh, this does not have to mean totally defeated. And we're going to look at that in just a second. We see that the martyrs are with Christ at this point. Well, when did martyrdom start? With Stephen. Right? That happens before John writes this. Okay, so if the specific reference to, to James, sure. Um, that was around 44 A.D. Uh, uh, the, Stephen is the first the martyr Baptist. mentioned. And then, you're right, the first one beheaded is James. The first the uh, well, he's before, he's before the kingdom. So he still technically dies under the Old Testament, but he was you know, like any one of the other prophets that were, were martyred. Uh, but as far as Christian martyrs, uh, that, that starts as far as we know with Stephen. Uh, so and there might have been more. That's the first biblical reference. Uh, <clears throat> so, so martyrdom starts with Stephen. So that would fit in with, with going back and looking. Now what is the point? What does Jesus do in this passage here in Revelation to Satan? He does what specifically? Okay, he binds him. It's an interesting way of stating that. Want, Matthew chapter 12. I want to look at Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> and verse 24 beginning. It's a, a subtle parable or story that illustration that Jesus is, is teaching them. But in Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> he 
says, now, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, the fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. However, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. So how can his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds him? One of Christ's stated goals for his ministry on earth was to bind Satan. We are not waiting for God through Christ to bind Satan. It happened. You look at the pagan world prior to Christ, how pervasive it was. Some of the things that happened, so hideous. That God would wipe them out off of the face of the earth. The Amalekites who, who sacrificed their own children. It's just horrible, horrible things. God says, I, I can't even let these people live. Right? The flood where, where God says, the, the, the thoughts of every man was evil only, always. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I just, so, so are you saying that Are you saying that right now, what we're experiencing now, we're in a thousand years? No. We're going to get to that. Okay. We're going to get to that. Um, We're really, this is recapping. We've gone through all of this uh, in some terminology or other. Mm -hmm. Does that imply that God created hell as a place to put all those people? Well, hell isn't self-existent. Okay. So so God, God must have created it. Anything that exists, God has made. Um, otherwise, hell is equal to God. It's the like like antimatter, which it, which it can't be. So, uh, so so Christ comes to bind Satan. Within three hundred years of Christ, paganism is referred to as mythology. Think of that, that, that effect that it has on, that, that deception. Not that, that no lie has ever been deceived or has ever deceived a person, but that, that pervasive deception is gone. So it's like, like ripping, the, you know, ripping the mask off, tearing that veil, all of these types of things. Christ is it, it's open, it's available. Uh, and, and even with forces trying to hide it, this Bible is being sent and people are receiving it in China. There's, there's uh, interesting things in the language of China, the written characters of China that, that, that refer to things of Christianity. It, it's embedded in their culture. Where did that come from? From, from missionaries. Like it, it, it went across the world within centuries. It's amazing. Um, and so we look at this, but we see that the martyrs are reigning with Christ. And we looked at that period of that, that great tribulation of, of those Roman, that Roman empire. 
those ten persecutions, uh, beginning from Nero on up through Diocletian. It, the, the, just the, the massive amount of Christians that were killed. And then we, we watch it transition, that the beast dies, and, and it revives through Catholicism. And, and, and we see, again, persecutions, the Albigenses and the Waldenses, and, and the, the, you know, just massive amounts of people murdered for their beliefs. And, and this is the period that I think we're talking to, but, but it doesn't last forever. Now, remember what we've talked about. Is kind of, words kind of uh, are, a lot of times they are general. We speak in a, we've looked at how a thousand is used throughout Revelation. It's a general terminology. It's a lot. It's not a specific. So it's like I've got a million things to do today. You're a busy guy. <laughs> um, that's how a thousand was to them. Uh, in a smaller world, right? a non-digital world had a smaller uh, a viewpoint, I guess. So a long time. This is going to last for a long time, but it's not going to last forever. He's going to be released. Well, and we're going to get into Gog and Magog in a second. Satan is going to be released from his prison and goes out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth. Have we seen a period of, of growing deception in Revelation so far? When did we talk about that? What significant deception happened? We had kind of two phases. So it's the dragon giving the beast power and authority to rule. Okay. Oh, and I can't remember what you were saying about some of the, like, part of the Catholic Church being. When the French Revolution happens, okay. And we see the beginning of the end of, of the, the temporal power, the, the political power of, of Catholicism. It's still an entity, still a religious entity, but, but the, as, a, as a ruling government, it loses that with Napoleon. We talked about two phases of things that happened, which really haven't existed since before Christ. We talked about the introduction of deism and then atheism. Right? Within, within a couple of generations. That didn't exist, really. There were different views on God. But there was really no viewpoint that God didn't exist. And that has gone on for a little while, it's just a little while going to happen. For a little while, right? This is it says that he's going to be released for a little while before the end. There's going to be this this long period of, of growth of the gospel, and then it's going to kind of take a almost like a backwards turn. What, what would you describe the last couple of centuries? Other than this, let's look at like something else. And right. Well, what, what you mentioned earlier when you said that the 
know, that in the grand scheme of things, it looks like the um, a lot of the paganism with uh -huh. mythology. I'm, I'm, that, that's the same language that they're using with Christianity. Yes. They, they refer to Genesis and all these, you know, and, 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 and um, uh, like what the first half of the Old Testament is mythology. Right. Right. There are people that, that refer to it. As, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or, or the whole thing is mythology. You know, the yes. and angels is, is verified, right. you know. So, have you ever felt more surrounded, more ostracized in your beliefs, right than right now in your life? Can anybody? We got different age groups. Can you think of a time where where Christianity has been more anti prevalent culture, or vice versa? It's not popular. Follow the science. All of these phrases that refer to, to Christianity, it's not popular politically. It's not popular. Uh, I, I remember the 70s, and there was a, what was that show? Shoot. Um, I just remember with, uh, with JJ. There was a black comedy. Um, yes, thank you. You know how many religious references were in that show? We watched it. I was like, hey, you know what? This is a show I haven't watched. And we found old things. I mean, references to Jesus Christ throughout that show. Prime time show. Yeah. Say that again. What show was it? Good Times. Do you remember Good Times? Yeah. The mother was devoutly religious in that show. Peanut, peanuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All sorts of stuff. It used to be a part of culture. You can't find it anywhere. You can find anything else glorified in culture now. I think it's still there. It's just not talked about. It's, it's because, uh, yes. I'm not saying that all of people are against it. I'm just saying it feels like you're surrounded. Like, like it's not popular to espouse certain views. You've got to quiet. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, I will say that there are, I mean, talked about the hello as part of the culture. Well, part of the culture now is everything that is not Christianity. You look right. on Netflix, you look on Hulu or whatever, right. and all the ads that come up for all the alternative stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, I cannot believe, and all the things that they push towards kids. Even, yep. Right. Yes. Like, this is culture now. This right. is what we're doing. Right. Right. I think it's an illusion, though, to be honest. There's a lot of people <clears throat> that you're right. 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 So, so, and here's one of the things that's happening with that is if you're an actor or actress that believes in those views, you don't get yourself a job. You you can't find a role. So you have to publicly say and fit the whatever prevalent culture wants you. And this is the idea. It's not that no one believes it. It's that there's this surrounding, and that's kind of what it describes here. Except it's not saying that there's no saints. Yes? Think about like Dolly Parton. She is a big star. Yeah. She has done so much and she does preach her faith and everything. Yes, but I've, I've, heard, interv I've heard interviews with her and, and, and she has espoused those same things, the, the politically correct things, like you can do what you want in your own bedroom kind of thing. She says the same thing. Why? 
because it's the prevalent culture that she lives within and she her career is in. She has to say certain things. Right? Part of it is we've been so safe for so long that so many right. people no longer talk out and are brave enough to speak out. There's a big difference between preference and conviction. Yeah. You're right. 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 If, if it's a conviction, you don't lessen it. You're going to stay with it. Right. right on through. But if it's a preference, you have to do this. Where's the wind blowing? Right. Is it going to cost me salary? Is it going to cost me a job, a role, whatever? Yeah. And I think that it's. It may be. I agree that it maybe is an illusion, but I think our younger generation, it's a lot less black and white for them because right. it's so prevalent. Right. So it's so they've normalized it so much right. that for them it's not as black and white. Right, and that's that's where this gets into. I want to get back to this really br- briefly. He says it that they went upon the breadth of the earth and they surrounded the camp of the saints. It's not that there's no saints; they exist, but there's going to be an effort to surround it. Right. So I want to look at Gog and Magog really briefly. And Gog is a reference, an Old Testament reference to Israel. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> what's that? Gog. Gog. I didn't know that. Yeah. Magog is, uh, I was actually looking at a gl- an old globe, and I was spinning it around, and I was like, that's from Revelation. And it's in Ukraine. So it's Scythia. So I'm doing some research. I'm like, I did not expect to see this on like this really ancient, not ancient, but really old globe. It's like Magog. I'm like, that's weird. Um, so I don't know if it was a replica globe or whatever, but Scythia at the time of Christ what w- would be the people who become Russia and Ukraine was Magog. Now, and so out of this, people who have the view of premillennialism see some great war between Israel and Russia happening. Okay, I, I don't believe that. For, for Ukraine, not ever going to be a world power. It's just not going to happen. I've lived there for 11 years. It's not going to happen. So um, what is Israel referred to in the New Testament? The church. God says, I'm taking this thing from the Old Testament and I'm going to re... I'm, I'm just going to repurpose it. Right? Not all, in Romans, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Right? And this is, goes into this thing, the camp of the saints, Israel. Well, who is Magog? Well, what does Scythia have to do with anything? Let's go back to that force that starts this, this atheism, this, this pervasive force. Where did that start? Remember we talked about following the French Revolution about 50 years later, there's this little book written called the Communist Manifesto. Where does that start? Where's the first nation? Now, there's been a lot of socialist countries in the world. There are Christian ones, not Christian ones. There's never been a Christian communist country. When communism comes in, God goes out. It's part of the doctrine. It is a part of the doctrine. Religion is the opiate of the masses. The state becomes the yes. God. Yes, it does. And that's the difference. Uh, 
and so, so God, this we are in a time where where God is being assaulted, and you think about where God is being assaulted, and where the sources are from that from today, and what is the political background where this is sourced from? This from communism. This has been a war going on for 200 years now. I know a lot of people don't think about that, but 1848 is when that theory really is published. And, and immediately revolutions begin. They were unsuccessful for a little while until it took a hold in the Bolshevik Revolution. But, but that's where we're, we're fighting an almost 200-year war where the enemy has surrounded the camp of the saints. There's nowhere to run. There's no new countries to run to. There used to be countries to run to. There's no more countries. And so the good news is, as we we close out for today, and we'll, we'll kind of recap some of this, but verse 11 down through talks about the opening of the books. And God says, all right, you had your little fun. I let you out for a little while. And now it's time for judgment. If... We are in that period now. I don't know how long. But judgment's around the corner. And I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't know how much more surrounded you can feel. I expect that there are people in other nations that say, oh, you could feel it a lot worse. (laughs) But when it gets to a point where God says, they are totally surrounded, right? Just like any movie. That's a great movie. It's a great movie line. Is when you don't. It's like how you, you don't. They get into uh, they get into a situation, whatever the movie is, and it's like how is this guy going to the hero? How is he going to rescue this situation from certain doom? That's this. That's this movie. When when Christ says it can't get worse, then Christ steps in and says. My people are saved. That's that's the greatest movie. So we're going to close with that.